I've always been told it's not fair to talk about someone if they're not there to defend themselves, so I'm not going to mention who this story is about. I work with a couple people, and uh, one, of the, uh, one of the weeks, a few weeks ago, Scott, our, our business manager, had a grill for sale, and he was going to sell it to another member of the Lakeside staff who may or may not be here today and isn't here today. And the said member of the staff went and bought the grill from Scott for $25. He bought a used grill for $25. I mean, in fairness, it wasn't that great of a deal. It's more like an easy-bake oven, but whatever. He got the grill, $25. It's called a grill. We'll go with that. He takes it home. He goes. He buys a propane tank. He hooks it up. And then he calls me. And he says, would you believe... We work with somebody who would sell me a broken grill. And I said, I know Scott. Absolutely, I believe he'd sell you a broken grill. <laughs> and then we laughed. And then I said, I'm sure Scott wouldn't sell you a broken grill. So the next day I come into work and Scott's like, yeah, I sold he who shall not be named who normally stands over here and sings a grill. And apparently it doesn't work any longer, so I'll give him his money back. I'm like, all right. Well, I, I called. I called him, and I said, are you sure it doesn't work? He's like, yeah, it doesn't work. I said, well, Scott told me we just used it like a month ago, and it worked fine. And he said, it doesn't work. And I said, let me take a look at it. Not because I really thought I could fix it, but because I need these stories for messages. And so I figure... It's his 25 bucks, and it's at his place, so any destruction that happens, perfect. I'm all over that call. And so I decided I would help him out. And I get over to his home, and we look at the grill, and I make sure that the propane's turned on and try to light one of the burners. And sure enough, it doesn't work. He started telling me about how he went and he bought the propane tank, got it brand new from Tractor Supply, and it was one of the nicest propane tanks I've ever seen in impeccable condition. Told me he paid 50 bucks for it and looked at it. And then I picked up the propane tank. <laughs> and either that propane tank was empty or I've gotten a lot stronger. My money was on the propane tank being empty. So I said, go and get some soapy water. And we'll put that on the outside, because if you put a little bit of soapy water on the outside of a propane tank, you'll get a reaction where, the, where there's gas in the tank. And if there's no gas in the tank, you won't get a reaction. And we got no reaction. And that's when I looked at him and said, buddy, you bought an empty propane tank. The reason your grill won't light is because there isn't any gas in the tank. And he responded, who would sell me an empty propane tank? I said, Tractor Supply for $50. I said, and the good news is that Walmart, just down the road from Tractor Supply in Sturgeon Bay, they sell full propane tanks for $45. <laughs> so we loaded up the empty propane tank, because what good is a propane tank without propane in the tank? And we took it to a place. And for $18, they filled. his <laughs> brand new, empty tank. And the best part was the conversation between the gentleman who shall not be named 
And the man who worked at the propane store, as he's walking out, says, nice weather, huh? He's like, yeah, it is. And then he looks at the tank, just an impeccable tank. I mean, really beautiful. One of the most beautiful tanks I've ever seen. And uh, looks, at, looks at my friend and, and says, you go through all this, uh, all this propane once already? To which he goes, nope, bought it empty. The man just kind of looked at him, looked down at the tank, and didn't speak to him for the rest of the experience. <laughs> he filled the tank. We took it back, hooked it up to the grill, and that easy bake oven fired up like it was brand new. You could feel the heat, and everything worked great. Why? Because it wasn't enough just to have the tank. It wasn't enough just to have the shell. What actually made the grill work, what fired it, was the gas inside the tank. This morning, we're going to continue our look at the beginning, and today we're taking a close look at the start of humanity. So if you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us in the Bible app. It's a free app you can download in the App Store. Just type in Bible. Once you've downloaded and installed it on your device, you open up the Bible app, and within the app, there's a feature called Events. If you have your Bible with us, you can join us in Genesis chapter 2, and if you're streaming from home, the verses will be available on the screen below. As we look today at the picture where God shows us in detail his creation of humanity, and not just our physical forms, but the immaterial aspect of us as well that we all possess in our souls and how those came to be as we look, starting in Genesis 2, beginning in verse 4, where we read these words. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. These are the generations. This phrase is how the book of Genesis is divided. And throughout the book of Genesis, every time there's a turning point, every time there's a new development that God wants us to, to learn about, that God wants us to focus on, every time there's a, there's a new aspect to the story, to one of the patriarchs of the faith, you will see this phrase. These are the generations. And here we see it right off the bat in Genesis 2, verse 4. Now, now, what does this mean? What is God going into detail about? He goes on to tell us in verses 5 through 7. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small part of the field had yet sprung up for, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and amidst was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, wait a minute, we already covered this. We already covered this in Genesis chapter 1. So why would we talk about it here? Well, Genesis chapter 2 gives us a lot more detail than Genesis chapter 1 did on this aspect. And the reason, sometimes this is a literary device that authors will use, you foreshadow something or you, you cover something, but then you go and you give more details. Think the difference between a, a newspaper article or an online article that you would read versus a book uh, where somebody would go in and dive deep into a subject or a topic. 
or sometimes in conversation. I mean, sometimes in everyday conversation, I just like to say, hey, Derek, remember the time you bought an empty propane tank and couldn't fire up your grill? Like, sometimes I just like to say that. Other times, other times I like to tell the whole story. And so that's, that's basically what's going on here. In Genesis chapter 1, we're hit with the summary. In Genesis chapter 2, we're given a deep dive into the creation of humanity of what God did. Now, you might be wondering to yourself, well, if that's the case, then why does this start in verse 4 of Genesis chapter 2 and not right away? And, and we have to remember that the chapters and the verses were added to Scripture later on, and they're really a tool and a resource for us to find things more easily. But the chapters and the verses of Scripture are not inspired. All, all Scripture is, is from God, but the chapters and verses are, are made uh, just really for us to find and index things much more simply. So they aren't, they aren't from God. And what do we see here? We see that God is, is busy creating man, and then what does he do? God breathes the breath of life into his nostrils. That humanity was a shell. Humanity was a shell. It wasn't fully alive until God breathed life into humanity. Why does that matter, and what are the implications? We're going to talk about that as we move on. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So again, we're, we're drawing down here. We're, giving, we're given much more context into the creation of humanity. And what we're told is now God, after he, as he breathes the life into humanity, he's also made a special place for humanity to dwell. He's also made a special place within the world for humanity to dwell. And there's trees in this garden that are incredibly pleasant to look at. There's beautiful creation everywhere you would look. Trees that are pleasant to look at. Trees that provide food. All of their wants and all of their needs are taken care of in this special place that God has created for humanity to dwell. There it is. Beautiful trees and trees that provide all the food that they could need. A variety of food. We know that there are different kinds of food that could be eaten. All available there. And there's a tree of life. A tree of life. Within this garden that God has created within humanity, God's original design is for humanity to never die. And within this garden that God has made for humanity is the tree of life. That if humans would eat of it, they would never die. Now, How this works, we can't fully comprehend. We don't know, but there within the garden is a tree of life, a, a superfood of some sort that if humans eat from it, they will continue to live. If you've ever wondered why death is so heart-wrenching, if you've ever wondered why grief is just so unbearable when you lose someone, it's because death is countercultural to the way that we were designed. Death goes against God's original plan for humanity. And we see it on full display here. That God has created a beautiful place full of all kinds of beauty, 
full of everything that we need. All of our needs are met. There is, there's beauty and all of our needs are met and it's all right there for our taking. That is God's original design. That we would have access to the tree of life. That we would never have to experience death. It's all right there. And yet there's another tree which is going to be foundational as Genesis and as humanity and as the world moves on. And we're going to talk about that in detail in the weeks to come. But that is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. And there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of the land is good. Delium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. So what's fascinating is in this, in this view that we're given of what God has done in this beautiful garden, this picture that we're given here, we look today, and this is in modern-day Iraq, and the land that we're told of here is more spectacular than anything that we experience in our world today. When we think of that region now, we think of desert, we think of extreme heat conditions, and all of that is true. But the picture we're given here is a much different picture. We're given a picture of, of trees everywhere and all kinds of beautiful, majestic trees and all kinds of fruits, food to take care of every need that people have. We're told that there is a land of gold here, and the gold is, is beautiful and it's valuable gold, it's good gold. We're told that there's onyx stone and delium, that there, there are jewels and there are stones everywhere, that there's a, water is readily available and rivers are flowing everywhere. And we look at that region today and it's very different than the picture that we see here. And we go on. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So God puts Adam in this majestic place. God puts Adam in this beautiful place with two jobs. To work it and to keep it. To work it and to keep it. To work it is to grow it. To keep it is to maintain it. And this is what God has called Adam to do. To go into work. And as we saw last week, work is not a result of sin. Work is not a result of the curse. That work is something that we're to find joy and value in, that we've been people who were created to work. And here, God puts Adam in the garden, and he is told to go to work. And that work is to grow and to maintain. And sometimes there's tension in our lives because our work is, doesn't align with our expectations. And sometimes we go into work with growth expectations, but really what we need to have are more maintenance expectations. And sometimes we go into work with maintenance expectations, what we need to have are more growth expectations. And when those things do not align, there's tension in our heads, there's tension within our desire to go to work, there's tension on the team, 
And neither one of those things are inherently evil, but sometimes people who are so laser-focused on growth forget the side that's the other side of the coin that's equally important, and that's maintenance. And so you can have somebody who's so laser-focused on growth that they're always pushing forward and they're always moving ahead, but at the detriment of the things that must happen today. And if you don't have somebody to come alongside and take care of the things that need to happen today... You're going to be constantly frustrated because you can continue to grow things and grow things and grow things, but the things you don't maintain are falling apart. And you wonder, why aren't we getting any headwind? Why aren't we getting any traction with what we're trying to do here? And the reason is because all of your emphasis is on growth. On the other side of the coin, you might be somebody who's happy with what you've got. And you don't want to you don't want to change. You don't want to push things forward. You don't want to do anything different. You're content, and you're happy, and life for you, quite frankly, is a little easy, and your goal is to just maintain, but if you don't do anything to try to grow, and all of your focus is just on maintenance, sooner or later, even the best things that are maintained start to break down, and if you pay no attention to moving beyond the maintenance towards growth, what you're going to find is sooner or later, no matter how well you maintain things, they start to break apart. See, we need both sides of this coin. We need both sides of this coin in, in, our, in our jobs. We need both sides of this coin in our relationships. We need both sides of this coin in our churches. That we need to push forward, but we also need to maintain and it's a tension that we have to live in. And it's not a wrong tension. It's not a result of sin. It's a tension that God created even with Adam, even in the perfect garden. He says, you go work. And what you must do is you must grow the garden and you must maintain it. Both sides of the coin. And when one of those sides of the coin is missing in our lives, we're in trouble. Because we're not living up fully to what God has called us to be and how God has called us to live. Now, you can be, you can be disposed to really champion one of those two sides, and there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But if that's true of you, you need to recognize it, and you need to surround yourself with somebody or some bodies who are efficient and excited about the other side of the coin if you're going to live the full existence that God has called and designed you to live. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And here we get some restriction. The rule of restriction that God introduces is everything in this garden, everything that you've just heard about, Adam, everything in this place, it's all for you. And it's all beautiful. And it's all good. All those trees that are phenomenal to look at, they're for you. They're for you to grow. They're for you to maintain. They're for you to do with what you will. Go and create. Go and design. Go and have adventure and wonder and joy. Seek out all that is here 
for your amusement and your enjoyment, go. All of your needs are met. That there is every kind of food you could possibly imagine that is produced from this land that will fill you. You don't need anything that isn't readily available and readily provided right here in this garden. There's beauty in this world like we can't imagine. There's water freely flowing about. And there's the promise of life everlasting. But in all this, There's one tree. There's one tree that God restricts. And God clearly indicates his expectations and the consequences if those expectations are not met. You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely Everything's available, except one tree. And if you go to that tree and you eat of that tree, you will surely die. God makes the restrictions clear, he makes his expectations clear, and he makes his consequences clear. And then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And this is the first time in Scripture that we see that it is not good. Up until this point, everything that God has created, everything that God has made, we hear it was good. And this is the very first time in Scripture we see that something is not good. And God's going to remedy that. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the name the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. God made everything. God makes all the animals. And then he entrusts Adam, his creation, to name the animals that God had created. It's fascinating. That God creates these things and then thinks enough about his creation that he says, hey, Adam, you go name everything else I've created. You go name all the animals. And yet, out of all of this, God sees that there's something missing for Adam. Then the process of all the animals coming and Adam naming them various names, that Adam's alone. And there's no helper that's suitable for Adam. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. 
And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. God sees that there is a problem. God sees that something is not good. And so God fixes it. And God does surgery. And he rips open the man, rips open Adam, in order to provide him a gift that will ultimately make his existence better. God forces Adam into a deep sleep and he takes one of his ribs, he takes bone and flesh in order to create for him a gift that will make his existence better. And let me just pause right there and say that this is an incredible reminder to us that sometimes God rips us open. And we don't understand why at the time. We don't understand what's going on. But we just know we feel it. We just know we hurt. We just know that the pain is real. We just know that there's a wound. And sometimes God rips us open. Because he's up to something that we can't even imagine. And here he forces Adam into a deep sleep and he rips a bone out with flesh and he uses that to create a gift that is going to enhance the the existence of Adam in ways he can't even fathom. And some of you right now are ripped open and you don't understand it. And some of you feel the pain and all you know is there's a wound, but you don't understand why the wound is there. And I promise you this, I promise you, God is up to something behind the scenes. God is not forsaking you. God is working in your life and God is going to use that wound to do something phenomenal in your life. and offer you something that is greater than you can even imagine because God is a good God and there are times where we are ripped open and there are times where we have wounds and we don't understand why but God is up to something and here he rips Adam open in order to provide to him a gift that will enhance his entire existence and God can and will do the same for us. And I just want to encourage you, if you're there today and if you're in the midst of the wounding, if you're there and you feel like God has just ripped you open and you don't understand why, I just want to remind you that his plans are greater than we can fathom. He is a good God and he loves us more than we can even imagine. And then the man said, this is at last, is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is fascinating. Now we see the creation of Eve. What do we see? What do we see in this? I'm just going to read these these last three verses again because there's so much much truth in these verses that form 
the foundation for so many things that God goes on to establish later on in Scripture and are even established right here. So I'm just going to read them again, and then we're going to talk about the implications of them. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. What do we see? We see a sense of compatibility and completeness. We see a sense of compatibility and completeness. That God looked at Adam and he said, it is not good. And then God creates Eve. And we see a sense of compatibility and completeness. Men need women and women need men. And we live in a culture that wants to vilify the other gender. We live in a culture that wants to blame the other gender for every evil in this world. And we just need to stop. We need to understand that men, we need women. And women, you need men. And I know that's a countercultural message. I don't really care. It's the message that Scripture gives us right here. Men need women and women need men. It's the way that God has designed it. And we just need to stop vilifying the other gender and blaming all of the issues of the world and all of our problems on the other gender. Men are to compliment women. Women are to compliment men. It's, it's the way that God designed it. And we need to celebrate the other gender, not sit and bash them, not blame all, of, all the ills of society and the world upon them. But we need to celebrate the great diversity that God has created, that we complement each other and we are at our best when we work together. The second is a man will leave his family. A man will leave his family. This should, this should guide how we parent. This should guide how we parent. That ultimately, we want the kids out of the house one day. Now, some of you, they're 13 right now. You're like, today's a good day. No, that, not yet, all right? But we ultimately, we ultimately want the kids out of the house one day. That a man will leave his father and his mother. That, that we'll grow up and that there will be responsibility. There will be responsibility. That we won't drag adolescence along through our 30s, but there will be a time where we're able to hold down a job and we're able to pay our bills and we have responsibility in our life. A man will leave his father and mother. And sometimes kids, they, they're way too late getting out of the house. And sometimes it's because they're not driven and sometimes it's because they're lazy. And sometimes it's because they've been smothered their entire life. And we've got a whole generation right now of helicopter parents that want to follow their kids 24-7. And if they fall down when they're learning to walk, want to take them to the ER. I mean, it's, it's troubling. A man will leave his father and mother. This isn't cause for sorrow. This is cause for celebration and joy. A man will leave his father and mother. And be united to a woman as one flesh. And this verse is foundational to our understanding of God's design of sexuality. This verse shapes our view of sexuality. It, it, it shapes our understanding that God's design for sex is between one man and one woman in the context of marriage. So anything outside of those guidelines, we would say, is not operating according to God's design for sex. And the vast majority of people have stepped outside of those guidelines. 
And every single time we step outside of those guidelines, whether it's a sexual relationship outside of marriage, whether it's an addiction to porn, whatever the case may be, every single time we step outside of those guidelines, there are consequences. And the consequences of sexual sin, we're told in the New Testament, in the book of 1 Corinthians, that they're even more difficult to deal with. This is why breakups are so hard. Because every time we step outside of God's design in this context, there's pain. And you may hear this and you might think, well, that's just an old-fashioned way of thinking. You might hear this and you might dismiss it. And yet, do you see the blessing that this offers? Do you see the blessing that this offers? That they are together. They are intimate. And Scripture makes it a point to tell us they are naked and without shame. They are naked and without shame. I mean, some of you can't even get the lights left on when you want to get adventurous. I mean, understand what we're talking about here. Understand what we're talking about here. We're talking about a complete, a complete sense of intimacy, a complete lack of insecurity. And I understand some of that is brought about from the fall, and some of that's brought about from sin in the world. And I understand that. But if we follow God's plan... And we follow God's design. There is acceptance and intimacy like we can barely imagine. And that's what God wants for us. That's His design. God doesn't put these restrictions in place because He's a prude. God puts these restrictions in place because the promise that he has and what he wants for us is something so much greater. That we could be fully vulnerable. And we could be fully accepted. We could bear every part of ourselves, both physically and emotionally, and be accepted without shame. That's the plan that God wants. That's what God wants for our marriages. That's what God wants for our relationships. That was his original design. And it's such an important part of God's design for us that as he's talking about our very foundation. He introduces this concept because it's his gift and his desire for us is that we would experience it as he created it to be, that we could be vulnerable and without shame in our lives. God, I pray 
that we would realize just how much you love us. I pray, God, that we would just see the beauty that's still in this world, even though it's a shell of what it once was. Your love for us, that you've given us opportunities to work, to grow and maintain things. You've created us to complement one another. And I pray, God, that will start with those of us who follow you. That we will honor the other gender. We'll celebrate, God, just the, the differences that we have, but how we make each other better. And we wouldn't be quick to tear one another down. I pray, God, that we would be people who, as we follow you, we'd follow you in every areas of our lives, including our sexuality, so that we could experience the promise and the plan that you put in place, and that in our, in our marriages, God, that we would have marriages that are full of intimacy and authenticity. That we could be with each other, revealing who we are without shame. And God, we would enjoy the gift that you've offered us. Thank you, God, for every day and the opportunity that we have to use it to serve you do the work you've created us to do. May we glorify you with every areas of our lives, this day and every day. In your son, Jesus' name we pray.